Good morning and welcome. Did you survive the snow this morning? I see it didn't keep you home. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. This morning uh, we come to the, perhaps I would call it the most favored church, the Church of Philadelphia. Chapter 3, verse 7, I'll read, and if you'll follow with me. And John writes, and to the angel, the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, and he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. For I know your works, see I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I, will, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out... No more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And with that, let's pray. Lord, how we praise you and thank you and bless you. What a privilege it is, Lord, to know you, the true and the living God. And as we gather today, Lord, in your name as your church, Lord, we, Lord, look at this church of Philadelphia. And Lord, in many respects, we want to be like this church. And Lord, help us, we pray, as we have been in these last days. Lord, call to represent you. Lord, call to walk with you and to know you and to communicate to you, Lord, to our culture and to our society. So I pray, Father, that you'd help us, Lord, to have those ears to hear. Lord, it seems to be in many different ways, Lord, you're speaking to your church today. And we realize we are still very close to your return. And yet we know the enemy knowing his time is short, will throw every possible hindrance and temptation against us. Lord, help us, I pray, to persevere. Help us to be faithful. Help us to continue, Lord, to walk with you. And Father, I thank you, Lord, for each and every one that's here today. And how I pray, Lord, that you would be speaking into our lives. And we'd be hearing that, hearing, responding to that. Bless our children, Lord. Meet with them. And Father, we invite you that by your spirit, Lord, you'd give us instruction today. Help us, we pray, that by the time we leave today, that there'll be some new truth in our life. Lord, a, a greater, Lord, understanding of, of how we're to live. Lord, how we're to walk and, Lord, how we're to convey, Lord, the blessed truth of the gospel, Lord, to the, to the culture, to the society, to the sphere of friends and relationships that we have. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We commit it to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we entitled this uh, message this morning, uh, the, the, little, the Church with Little Power, but a Very Big and Real Future. 
and how true that is of, of anybody that as we align our lives, as we look at this message of the Church of Philadelphia, uh, that we align our lives in this same kind of way, we may not have uh, very much strength, but I'll tell you what, uh, how important it is for us to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit, how we need to be more and more. And I think that in that realization that I am weak in myself, I do have little strength, that there becomes a greater reliance upon God, uh, a leaning upon Him, a looking to Him, and allowing Him to work in our lives as perhaps maybe never before. So of these seven churches that we find here in the book of Revelation, you know, this Philadelphia church is very easy to love and it's very easy to identify with. Uh, I, think every, I think everyone spiritually wants to, you know, be in alignment with the church of Philadelphia. You know, the American city of Philadelphia was given the name by William Penn. And uh, uh, they were basically leaving Europe, uh, leaving England because of the persecution, the religious um, opposition that they had, and coming here for religious freedom. And uh, as a matter of fact, he's the guy that named the city of Philadelphia. But the biblical Philadelphia was named by a, the king of Pergamos. Um, and it basically, it was named in honor of his brother. You know, I grew up in Philadelphia. It's called the city of brotherly love. Um, not so true. <laughs> um, but the biblical city, uh, Philadelphia, was named by a king for the sake of his brother. Um, and... Uh, Philadelphia doesn't mean the city of brotherly love, even though it basically um, you know, uh, indicates that or points to that, uh, but it means the lover of a brother. And, uh, and, and so that was what was taking place in the church of, city, uh, of Philadelphia, that they, you know, they were loving one another. But more importantly, what enables us to love our brothers and our sisters is the love that we have for God. Uh, everything flows from that relationship, doesn't it? Um, you know, he's the source of love. Uh, and it's very important that we're, you know, that we're rightly related to him, that we're connected to him. Uh, because if we're not, even though we may say we're Christian, you know, we may, um, you know, feel uh, the emotion of love towards certain people. But we're really, really not going to be able to love the people God wants us to love. It's easy to love the people that we, that we know and love us back. But we really need to be loving the people that don't love us. That's really the impact of the church. In the Church of Philadelphia, we see that taking place uh, in this little uh, group here. Uh, truly, they were lovers of God. Now, there's nothing here to critique. There, there was nothing at all to critique. This is the only church of the seven churches uh, where there was you know, much to commend, but nothing to critique, to critique at all. Excuse me. And in verse 7, it says, these things says he who is holy and true, uh, who has the key of David, who, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no, one's op no, no one opens. Uh, reference here to Isaiah 22 to a guy named by the name of uh, Eliakim. Uh, and he was sort of a messianic kind of figure. We're not going to take the time to read that. But if sometime later maybe you want to write that down, Isaiah 22, and look at a guy by the name of Eliakim. Uh, and he's basically, you know, given this, this key of responsibility. And it's basically, when you read the prophecy there uh, about him, uh, it's really a messianic prophecy. And it really speaks to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and what he's going to accomplish in this whole redemptive work. But when you think about this key, the Bible, uh, whether Old Testament or New Testament, speaks about a key. You see, but you and I, you know, Jesus reveals himself, you know, as the, the door, but he's also the key. For, for you and I, he's the key that really opens things, you know, for you and I. You know, remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, remember he gives uh, this command to Peter, this commission to Peter, if you will. Uh, he says, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of God. It's in Matthew 16, it's verse 19. And he says, whatsoever on earth you bind will be bound in heaven, um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but we realize here that, that, that what that is, is basically, and it really comes to you and I as well, this, this authority. A, a key is really a, a symbol of authority. Uh, and you and I have authority because remember Peter, he was the guy, as Jesus says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. It was not the keys, you know, uh, of the church, but it was the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And we find that it is Peter who preaches to Cornelius, uh, and opens up the key, opens up the door of belief to the Gentile world. 
Also, it's Peter, too. What? On the day of Pentecost, he preaches the gospel, and he opens up um, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven, so to speak, uh, to those who are hearing, whoever will respond. And you and I have this, this, this privilege, if you will, that as we you know, communicate the gospel, as we, as we you know, speak of the gospel, a lot of people sometimes get kind of, uh, I've heard some kind of strange interpretations on what is binding and loosing uh, kind of a thing. But remember Jesus over in John chapter 20, uh, he, he, and this was on resurrection night, um, and, and he says to them, uh, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. Whoever sins that you remit, they are remitted. Now, sometimes the church has misunderstood that, like, for instance, the Catholic Church. That's why they believe the only person that can forgive sins uh, is, is, the, is the priest. And that's why if you were ever a Catholic like myself, you had to go to the confessional and you had to confess your sins because it was believed that he was the only one that forgive your, can, can forgive your sins. But that's a wrong interpretation. See, what it is, it's the, the ability that comes to the church that you and I can preach and declare the gospel and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, you can proclaim to people that if you, you commit your life to Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. But if you don't give your life to Jesus Christ, your sins will not be forgiven. Uh, so it's an authority in the sense of, our, of this declaration and the, this ability to proclaim truth to people. That's what happens when we proclaim the gospel. In other words, when you and I proclaim the gospel, it's like this morning, Margie and I were, were, were coming to church, and we saw this guy uh, walking along the side of the road. And, uh, and uh, he had a backpack on, and he had a suitcase pulling it behind him. So we decided we were going to go back around and ask him if he wanted a ride. And uh, you know what we had in mind. Uh, we we're going to try to bring this guy to church. And, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, he would commit his life to, to Christ and get saved. Uh, but uh, he, he refused our offer. And, and little did he realize that he was refusing a tremendous offer. He didn't know what was in that package. He just saw two, you know, probably weird-looking people in this little black car, uh, you know, thinking, you know, what do they want? Or, um, or maybe he did think we were going to church and he didn't want to go that way or whatever the case may be. But you see, when you and I you know, declare and communicate the gospel, the truth of the gospel, you're telling someone, you're, in other words, you're, you're offering the opening of a door, okay? Because the gospel is that key, if you will. It's that truth that they can be set free by uh, is they simply believe it and they put their trust in, you know, the truth that you've communicated to them. Uh, so for you and I, in a sense, Jesus is that key when we preach Christ, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about Jesus, um, you know, that door wonderfully opens for people. That's not just something for, you know, for pastors, you know, or for priests. It's for anyone because why? Uh, we are kings and priests, amen? And so, you know, as we simply declare, you know, the truth of Jesus Christ, and that's why I think, that's why I am convinced that Satan is so effective and powerful in muting the church. Out of fear, they're going to reject it, or they're not going to like me, or I, I, you know, I might jeopardize my, um, you know, my reputation or whatever with that someone. And, and we have to be very careful because we, we have to realize that the power and the authority that has been given to the believer to communicate truth. That's why, it's, that's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because the gospel is power. And as someone just opens their heart very simply, all of a sudden that door to eternal life opens, and they come into it, and all of a sudden they realize all that is available to them, you know, as, as Paul speaks about, the riches that we have in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think also, too, on a, on a practical, personal kind of note, Jesus also is the one for you and I who opens doors. Have you discovered that as you've maybe prayed for an opportunity? And, and I'm not only am I speaking about opportunities in witnessing or in sharing the gospel, but I think opportunities in the sense of, you know, a job and, and different things. You know, there's been times, I'll tell you what, maybe this sounds crazy to you, but I prayed in a very busy uh, mall parking lot for a parking spot. Have you done that? 
Yeah, sure you have. Come on, fess up, fess up. And some of us have probably even prayed for our animals, haven't we, when they were sick? <laughs> Jesus is the one who opens. And, you know, it's like uh, with our, our trip to Israel. Uh, there's like about 13 of us that are planning to go. But we're kind of on standby. Uh, they have to find the seats for us on the plane. And uh, that hasn't happened yet. They're, 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 they're still trying to find them. But you know what? If we don't go, that's okay. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I, you know, I want the Lord to shut doors where they need to be shut. That's why, you know what? Don't be the kind of Christian who picks a lock. Don't be the kind of Christian when the door's shut, you're going to climb through the window. Because you get in there, you may not be able to get out so soon. You know, if the Lord closes a door for us, you know what? Let him close the door and rejoice in it. If he opens the door, hallelujah. You know, either way, you know, either way there, there can be a contentment because, you know, we see the hand of the Lord. You know, we see God's provision. God is so wonderfully faithful. Now, he says in verse 8, I know your works. I see, uh, I, or rather see, I have set before you an open door uh, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, and you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Aren't you thankful that God, and it's, I think it's so important that we understand, you know, the, the uh, sovereignty of God, that God is omniscient. That's the, the theological term. He's on, omniscient. He knows all things. He knows about everybody's past. He knows what's presently going on in your life. And you know what? He knows your future. That's why it's so important. That, that you and I, relative to, to decisions that affect our future, that you're praying about it. That, that you're praying and saying, Lord, if, if uh, uh, I'm not to go this way, Lord, shut the door, close the door. Uh, if I'm, Lord, if this is of you, please open the door. You know, he knows all things. Uh, we, you know, there's so many things that we don't even know about what's going to take place in the next hour, much less tomorrow, the next week. Are, are, are the days in the future. But you see, our Heavenly Father, He knows all things. And we see Jesus saying that, uh, I think, to each and every one of these churches. He's saying, you know, I know this, I know that. He says, he says here again, yeah, that I simply, I know your works. And as He looks at their lives, their lives are, you know, their, their personal lives, um, you know, their personal lives and their testimony uh, are, are absolutely spot on, also, too, in a very collective way. And so he says to them, to this church, in a collective way, not only in a personal kind of way, but in a collective way, I have set before you an open door. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, this is why it's so important that, yes, we're, you know, we, we, you know we're church. You know, we have a, we have a collective identity. You know, we do certain things that, you know, as the leadership and uh, as we pray about certain directions and, and, and guidance and leading, it, it is so, you know, it, it, it's so important as we, you know, see those things taking place that we're doing what God wants us to do. But on a personal note, I was thinking about Israel of old because there's, a, there, there's a, an application there. And remember Israel of old, as a, as, a, as a collective entity, suffered defeat because there was one man in the camp by the name of Achan. And he had sin in his life, remember? Remember he took stuff and he hid it. He, you know, he took idols, gold and silver and that sort of thing, and hid it in his tent. But remember what it did. Remember the, the collective impact and effect of that. It brought defeat to the whole nation. That's why each one of our lives are important, that we're in right relationship with Jesus Christ. How easily defeat can come to God's people. The overall impact, you know, in our community, you know, our desired effect. It can, be it, it can, it can come to defeat because of individual situations in the lives of God's people that are not pleasing to him. This church here, personally, collectively, 
their testimony was absolutely right on, spot on. Now he says, because of that, I've set before you an open door. No, nobody's going to shut this door. Even though this church had little strength, because sometimes I think we look at our lives and we feel you know, ineffective. We feel you know, our personal vulnerabilities and our weaknesses, and we think, you know, I can't really do much. That doesn't matter. What really matters is that our lives are in alignment with him. We may look at somebody else that, man, their life is so gifted. And a lot of, it's interesting, too, a lot of people who have gifted lives sort of waste them on the world. And what's more important, whatever we have, remember <laughs> the little boy with the lunch who showed up when Jesus was speaking that day. And little did he know, little did his mama know when she made him that lunch that, that, that was going to feed thousands of people. And all the way through the Bible, God is taking little things and multiplying them, blessing them. And he can take the littleness of our lives, our little strength, our little ability. What's important is that we offer it to him. Amen? That, that's the important thing, that we're, we're offering up our lives and the little that we have that we might bring glory and honor to him. Remember Paul's journey, second journey? And here's the great apostle Paul, and, and he wants to turn to the right and go into Galatia. Uh, and, and the biblical record tells us that the Holy Spirit forbade him to do it. He was forbidden by God to do that. He turns to the left and he wants to go into Bithynia, another closed door forbidden by God. And he gets, he comes now, he basically goes through Asia Minor, which is Turkey, and he gets all the way over on the coast on the Aegean Sea, and he's at a city by the name of Troas, and it's sort of the end of the line. And I would imagine Paul's like, well, Lord, you know, we went through the whole country, and you're forbidding us, the Holy Spirit. Uh, we don't know exactly how that, you know, transpired, but Paul knew the Holy Spirit was closing the door and forbidding him to preach. Now, he would have opportunities later, but it was important for him to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit at that time. He gets to Troas, and what happens there? He has a vision. There's a man of Macedonia saying, come on over and help us. And sometimes I would, I would imagine Paul at a certain point saying, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? I, 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 you know, we have barked on this journey. You know, we, we had purpose to really you know, make an impact here in Asia Minor. And so he comes to Troas, and all of a sudden, as he at the end of the line, nothing but ocean or a sea before him, and God gives him a vision. And a man saying, hey, come over, come over here and help us. And Paul takes shipping, crosses the Aegean Sea, and the gospel is opened up to an entire continent of Europe. And what's interesting, too, because there was a time, this church of Philadelphia is basically, you know, from uh, the 1800s, you know, to presently, you know, today and thereabouts. It was called the Great Missionary Age. And there was a point in time when the gospel went out from Europe to every, every place on the globe. C.T. Studd and in, in, uh, David Livingston, Africa. Uh, William Carey to India, Hudson Taylor to China, uh, the Wesleys and Whitfield to America. And little did Paul realize as, you know, doors were shut here and there, you know, what was going to open up? An opportunity that was going to impact the entire world. You know, this church here, is commended for their obedience to Bible truth and their faithfulness to the spirit of the name of Jesus. You know what? That's the most important thing that we can be, is obedient to the, to the word of God, faithful to the, to the spirit and nature of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes uh, we can get discouraged 
because maybe big and dynamic things aren't happening. You know, as I really assess things, you know, over biblical history and look at things from my own experience, that, that God is in the little things. He's in the little things. That, that's why I think over in Zechariah, is it Zechariah chapter 4? Uh, says, despise not the day of small things. The day of small things, the day of little things. Sometimes we see, you know, what God has done in the past or what God has done some other place. But it's still been a process. So be careful that you don't set aside the little thing, the small thing, for what you may feel is some other thing. God is in the small things. He cares about that. You know, I think as it comes to, you know, obedience to biblical truth and being faithful to the Spirit of Christ, I think these are the conditions that really open the doors for us. Doors of opportunity. Doors to speak to people about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this church also, too, faced heavy opposition. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, these Christian Jews, remember, the early church was primarily Jewish. And it took a while for, you know, as, as, Christ, as Gentile believers were assimilated, you know, into their midst. And the early persecutions came from, you know, from other, from Hebrews um, who, you know, basically they didn't understand what was going on because uh, many people were simply being saved, you know, out of synagogues and out of places where, you know, Jews met. And uh, these, you know, these believing Hebrews, they simply believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies, that he fulfilled, he, you know, he fulfilled the typology, he fulfilled the prophecies. And that brought a tremendous amount of persecution early on against them. And we saw that also, too, over in one of the other churches where there was persecution there. And, and the, the, John speaks, uh, you know, by the Spirit, referring to it as the synagogue of Satan. So these, these Hebrews are basically oppressing other Hebrew Christians. But, you know, once, you know, once the majority, that stopped once the majority of the church became Gentile, that, that ceased, that, that took place early on, you know, in Christianity. But what began to take place after that was simply elements of the corrupted church beginning to persecute Jewish, uh, you know, the, the Jews. Um, if you look in history, there's been a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of persecution. You got the pogroms in Russia, and there was, there was, there was a lot before that. Uh, then, of course, you have what took place uh, in, um, in Europe uh, during World War II uh, through the Nazi regime, um, you know, upwards of seven million, um, you know, Jewish people, you know, put to death. Uh, what, what, a, what a horrible thing. And sometimes, you know, there was even, there were elements not of the biblical church or the evangelical church uh, involved in that, but basically the dead churches. Um, and they had, you know, they, they identified, uh, um, you know, Hitler uh, basically said uh, um, he would not persecute certain Christian groups if they were in alignment with him. And, and a lot of them uh, believed the lie, basically, because the Jewish people were, you know, were involved, you know, to their degree in, in the crucifixion of Christ, uh, that we had a right to persecute them. Um, and how tragic. What it, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, and, and sometimes even, you know, I respect Martin Luther. I, I'm reading a book. Uh, anybody reading uh, Martin Luther right now by Mar Eric Metaxas? Uh, it's his mo most recent book. And, and, and let me just say this. Martin Luther was a great man of God. Uh, God used him tremendously, you know, in the Reformation. But like any believer, um, we have to be very, very careful because even though God may use us in, in a certain way, also, too, we find that, uh, you know, there's blind spots. Uh, you know, there, there's failures in everybody's life. 
And Martin Luther, at the end of his uh, life, toward the end of his life and toward the end of his ministry, was so frustrated because he was very concerned about Jewish evangelism, but the Jews did not respond. And uh, he wrote a track. He wrote a track very out of frustration uh, at the end of his life, and it had 10 points on it, and uh, it was basically uh, along the line that Jews should be driven from their village, their houses uh, should be should be knocked down, and uh, in that that track um, had basically floated in society for uh, a couple different centuries, and guess who got hold of that? Adolf Hitler, and and he took he took basically you know the outline of that of that track that that Martin Luther wrote, uh, and unfortunately I, I'm sure if you would ask Martin Luther you know. <laughs> uh, after the fact, uh, he would say, "Yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that one." And uh, uh, but it, you know, the 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 corrupted church uh, takes these things and they try to destroy the Jewish people. That's why the Jewish people have become, and and they know these things. That's why sometimes when we talk to them, we're not fully aware of the persecution that they have faced. They know it. They they know it very well. Um, you know, they've got all the dates and they know all the history. Um, and I think that, uh, uh, and I know that as, as a young believer, I didn't know any of those things. So when you talk to a Jewish person, uh, you think, well, it's just a prejudicial view, viewpoint that they have. No, it's not at all. They, they know the facts on, on Christian persecution. And um, I was reading of a pastor uh, who was speaking uh, with a rabbi. And uh, the rabbi said to him when he was, he was you know, trying to basically you know, communicate the pastor was communicating to him, you know, as biblical Christians, as evangelical Christians, you know, what we believe about the Jews and so forth. And, and uh, this, this rabbi had understand, understood very clearly where the pastor stood. And he said, you know, you premillennial Christians are the only ones that we can really talk to. And the pastor said, why? Why is that? He said, because no, none of the other Christian groups believe that we, the Jews, have a future. It's only the pre-millennial Christians, okay, who believe that God's got a plan, you know, for them. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of, you know, within uh, the, uh, the, the, the dead Orthodox kind of churches that the idea is, you know, God is finished with the Jewish people. And he is not. You cannot read the Bible and come up with that assertion. If you, read the, if you read the Bible, your eyes will be open, and I'm talking about all the prophecies about God's, God has a future, you know, for the Jewish people. And so it's, it's really the corrupt dead churches that believe that, you know, God's finished with them. And there was even a theology um, in the last hundred years called British Israelism that believes that we have taken the place of the Jews. And so, you know, we are his favored people now. They are not his chosen people any, anymore. And because of, you know, the crucifixion and all that, he's done with them. And uh, wrong, wrong, wrong. And I think, I think it's important um, that if you are ministering to a Jewish person, that you communicate to, to them what you know about the Bible and that you are a pre-millennial Christian and that you believe. Because that, that gives you common ground with them. The Jews believe that God's got something for them yet in the future. And I think if you're, you're, you're speaking to a Jewish person, uh, and I think sometimes we, we don't assume that they know as much as they really do, uh, because oftentimes they, 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 they do understand a lot more than we think they do. Uh, but to communicate to them that you, you do believe as a Christian, as a biblical Christian, as a premillennial Christian, that you believe um, that God has a future for Israel. And, you know, as you're reading, as you're going through, if you do a read-through through the Bible, through the Old Testament, keep your eyes open for those verses because you will find them in abundant supply that God has got a, a purpose uh, for his future people. You know, the early church quite often has witnessed the rising up of the spirit of Antichrist. And so do we. It cropped his head up again this week when the embassy, the announcement of the embassy being moved to Jerusalem. 
I was amazed at some of the blowback. Praise God for that decision. Let me tell you, folks, Jerusalem is not only going to be the capital of Israel. It's going to be the capital of the world. That would be a real tough one for them to swallow. Whenever you see, whenever you see dis- decisions like that, that so often have uh, international implications, this is spirit of Antichrist that, that rises up. Because there's two groups that Satan hates, the true church and the Jewish people. Do you know that's why Satan tried to destroy the Jewish people through Hitler? Because if he could destroy the people, there would be no prophecy to fulfill. I mean, he thought, he obviously had the, the, Satan had the audacity to think that he could do that. Aren't you thankful that we serve an almighty God? And you know, just as he has preserved the Jewish people, isn't it amazing they still have a national identity? You, you know what it would be like for, for, you know, for the Jews to come back into their national uh, homeland after 2,000 years. We like the Seneca Indians coming back or the Mohicans taking New York. Well, they may do that with gambling casinos, but uh, they're, they're, that, that's about as far as they're going to go. I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. And here they are back in their homeland. And, and it's the thing for the last 30 years that has just captivated headlines. Keep reading your Bible, folks. It's more current than you realize. Now, verse 10, he says, Because you have kept my command uh, to persevere. And, and I love this. It's such a beautiful promise. And it's a promise to all those who, who modeled their life in the same way as these Philadelphia Christians. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. You know, the Bible has never promised you and I that we have a trial-free life. Actually, the Bible promises the opposite, doesn't it? All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. Paul writes that to Timothy. But what does he mean here when he speaks about being kept from this hour of trial? What he's talking about very simply is God is going to spare the true believing church, not the professing church, the true believing church from the great tribulation. From that tribulation period that will be seven years. And you know what? It's not some local problem. It's international. It's worldwide. It's global. It's a global issue that's going to come upon the whole uh, world. Now, Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 24, 21 and 22. For then there shall be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. In other words, it's going to be the greatest trial that the world has ever experienced. Uh, Yes, the world has had trials, but nothing like this. And as we go through Revelation, you're going to see we're going to lose over, during the seven-year period, we're going to lose over half of the population of the earth. Can you imagine that? According to the, to, the, to the scriptures, according to the statistics that we have in the scripture, half of the world population will be wiped out. It'll be a horrible time. He goes on to say, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Praise God, you know, for his faithfulness, um, his intervention. I mean, he is going to, if he does not intervene, man would literally destroy himself, um, you know, from the face of the earth. It's also, too, the position, my position, the position of, of, of our ministry, that the tribulation will not begin until the church is evacuated by the rapture. I don't understand anybody that wants to go through the tribulation, Christians, because there are some theologies 
There are some theologies that will kind of get you into the tribulation. If, if you want to do that, I guess you can. But uh, I have no intention. I have no desire. Um, we have wonderful promises here. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to escaping that time. If you can call an escape clause, you can call whatever you want. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful, you know, for these blessed truths that we find in Scripture. Uh, over in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says this. In verses 6 through 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Now what he's talking about here, he's talking about the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit in the world today. And what he's restraining is the Antichrist from coming forward. From all hell and evil breaking loose. The work of the Holy Spirit is restraining that. And folks, he's doing it through the church. Now we're not saying that when the rapture takes place that there's not going to be any more Holy Spirit active. No, we're not saying that at all. He's still going to, he's still going to be active to his degree, to a certain degree but not to the same degree. And that's why it's important. We need to be, he, Jesus has called us to be salt and light. Do you know whether you realize it or not, your presence in a family, in a workplace, in a community, has impact. Have you ever been in a situation where someone's going to tell a dirty joke and they look at you and they say, well, maybe we better not say it. It's the restraining effect and impact of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people, the church. Now, he says this. Now, you know that what, re what is restraining that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of, of iniquity or the, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And yes, we know that. We see that. Only he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And again, he's taken out, his, his massive influence is taken out of the way when the church is raptured and taken out of here. And then it says, that's why, you know what, as the church, it's futile to try to, con to, try to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. Forget it. You'll learn from the grandstand, okay? You'll be hanging over the precipice of heaven. Oh, I can't believe it. it, it, it it's him. <laughs> We're just simply not going to know that because he's being restrained. He's being held back. And, and, and I'll tell you what, once the rapture takes place, he is going to really break forth rather quickly. Going to be a world leader going to have a satanic power upon him and he's going to look like he has all the answers you know Daniel says about him um, that people are going to say who's like the beast that's what the Bible calls him the beast that's one of his names just one of his names Who, who's like the who's like the beast because he's going to he's going to be able to fix a lot of things he's going to have answers he's going to have a, a very powerful charisma You know, in, in my lifetime, I don't know anybody that had a powerful charisma as a, as a national figure as John F. Kennedy. I can remember when he came through, when he came through our community in Philadelphia. And it was, on, it was on Frankfurt Avenue. And there must have been, as far as you could see, on both sides of the street, 30 people deep. I've never seen crowds like that anywhere. And that was just to, just, just to view him. Then I remember after he was assassinated. Do you remember he was put on a train? And I remember we stood on the train trestle with thousands of people just to see the train go by. But the Antichrist is going to have such a power and a charisma that, that people, you know, the, the unbelieving people will just be drawn to him. Do you know, do you see this in politics? That, that, that people have a messianic thing. They have a messianic thing about leaders. 
And, and you can see it in, almost in every president that comes along. They're, 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 they're the followers. They are so committed to this person. And they're just men. They're just weak men. But there's a leader coming along with, with such charisma, such power. But it'll all be invisibly imparted. The very, it'll be the very power of Satan himself. And, and Paul calls him here. John calls him the Antichrist. That's where we get the Antichrist. Paul calls him the son of perdition, the lawless one. There's, a, there's several names for this man. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume uh, with, the, consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. And he says the coming of the lawless one will be according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, that's miracles. The Antichrist will be able to perform satanic miracles. He'll be given that power. And lying wonders with all unrighteous deception. And I think about the people that are they're deceived about the things of God and about, you know, truth presently. But the unrighteous deception that will be poured out on people during that future time will be incredible. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. See what he's telling us right there. When the truth comes in, when the light comes in, when Christ comes in, that's our only protection. That's our help. That's why don't ever underestimate your ability to communicate the gospel. I always love the story of C.H. Spurgeon. He was a young man, teenager. And it was a cold, icy, snowy night. And the only place for him to go was to go into a church, and he sat in the back of a church. And the weather was so bad, the preacher didn't show up that night. So one of the men come, stood up from the congregation. He couldn't preach at all. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a real preacher. <laughs> and he turned to Isaiah, and he found a verse in there. And, he, and it was, Look to me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. And he just kept stating it. And he saw Spurgeon on the back row looking all depressed. And he said, young man, <laughs> if you'll look to the Lord right now, you'll be saved. And little did that guy know that, that Spurgeon got saved that night. And he would preach to tens of thousands of people. And they would later call C.H. Spurgeon uh, the man with the, 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 the silver tongue. See, you never know. Don't hide your key. Don't just look at yourself in the mirror and think, you know, woe is me. God can't use me. If you got the gospel, if you got the Holy Spirit, you got a key. If you got Jesus, you got the key. Matter of fact, you can even use the same verse of scripture that guy used on Spurgeon. <laughs> I, I love Luther's uh, mighty fortresses are God. And there's a verse in there that says, one little word will fell him. One little word of God will fell the enemy, the adversary. Remember that. One little word, one little truth. Now, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, tells us about the rapture. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? I mean, it almost sounds crazy. But before this time, Jesus doesn't come to the earth. He calls his church up to meet him in the air, and we are with him for that next seven-year period. Paul writes about it again, identifying a, a few different features of it. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed. I love there was a church that had this in their nursery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed. That's a great nursery verse, isn't it? So I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Folks, if we're here when the Lord comes, won't that be a glorious moment? So many believers throughout church history have just longed to be part of that. It may happen. It could, it, you know what? It could happen this afternoon. I mean, the way, the way things are going on in the world. Now, I was thinking about how everything's gotten stirred up again about Israel. You know what? God may have put Trump in just for this very thing. Because we've had presidents since Harry Truman promising. They've all kind of promised to do this. He's the only one that had the audacity to do it. Interesting times. I think this is the theme for the church. Behold, I am coming quickly, so be ready. Be ready. Be careful that you're not getting too caught up living for this life. See, the only reason I think people live for this life, I mean Christians, is because we don't realize how dynamic and how awesome eternal life will be. I, I don't either. I don't either. I, I mean, I think, you know, as you walk with the Lord over the course of time, you get, you know, the Holy Spirit works, you know, gives you little glimpses. And, of course, the older you get, the more precious, <laughs> the more real, the closer heaven is. But I don't think we have any idea. That's why we get too invested down here. And be careful that you, you don't get too invested down here. Because if you get too invested, here's the, here's the attitude, if you're too invested down here, Lord, don't come now, please. We need to say like John, even so, come quickly. You know what I discovered? The longer I stay on this earth, the more chances I have of getting in trouble. I don't know about you. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. So he's saying, basically, stay the course and hold your ground. Continue to hold fast to the things that you have in your life. Because you know, if we go in the wrong direction, how quickly everything that we've worked for can be erased. I, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to believers. Man, continue to just, just be faithful. Hold on. Hold fast to the things that you have. You know, the Holy Spirit says through Paul that many will abandon the faith and they will believe demonic lies. 1 Timothy 4.1. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of demonic lies that are going on out there in our culture. And as a result, people are buying into that stuff. And you know what they're doing? They're departing from the faith. They're abandoning the faith. And I think also, too, when he speaks about here, that no one take your crown. And sadly, some will lose their rewards. 
when we get to heaven, there'll be a reward ceremony called the Bema Seat. And Jesus will reward those. You know the Bible speaks about five crowns? The Bible says that there are five different crowns. The first one is a crown of righteousness. And it's those who have lived a good and righteous life as a believer, as a child of God. Secondly, there's the imperishable, or they also call this the victor's crown. And it's given to those basically who have lived a very sacrificial and disciplined Christian life. In other words, they've given things up for the kingdom. I, I think it would be so sad as a believer that our life would be nothing but, a, but hoarding material things to go into glory and all I've left behind me is just all the things that I've hoarded. You see, our God's a generous God. And he wants you and I to have a generous spirit. Do you realize that God has given us resources, not just to use for ourselves? It, it, it is sad when a, when a believer of Jesus Christ hoards up everything that God has given them on themselves, just using it on themselves. See, God wants us, he has given, I think, as Americans in the Western world, that he has given to you and I such resources to impact the rest of the world that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Our God's a giving God. He's a generous God. And he wants that same spirit in us. And those people that have, have, have lived sacrificially for Jesus, There's a crown. The, the, the King James calls it the incorruptible crown, but it's the, the new King James calls it the imperishable crown. Some also refer to it as the, the victor's crown. There's a crown of life, third crown, for martyrs. They're those who have just basically, they've given the ultimate sacrifice. They've given their life for Christ. The fourth crown is the crown of rejoicing. It's a soul winner's crown. That's why it's so important. Remember, it doesn't mean just a crown for evangelists. He who winneth souls is wise, the Bible says. There'll be a crown for those that have led others to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think it's a matter of how many. I don't think it's a quantity issue. That's why I think it's important to just have a soul winner's heart. I want to impact people. I want to tell people about Jesus. And then, uh, fifthly, there's the crown of glory. And those who, this is for those who are leaders and those who tend and feed the flock of God. I think this is given to men and women as well. I think this, this crown can be given to a Sunday school teacher, to a Bible school teacher, a Bible study those who have been instrumental in, in establishing and leading prayer meetings. Because they're power meetings. A crown of glory. And also in verse 12, this church, it knew upheaval, it knew turbulence. Uh, early part of the century, there was an earthquake. And for years after that, there were, there were, there were uh, uh, aftershocks. And initially, the city was just flattened. Had to be totally rebuilt. But whenever the city would shake, everybody would flee and run from the city. And he says, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. In other words, <laughs> there'll be no more fleeing. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. You know, we as well, I think, are on the precipice of global upheaval. And you know what? I think God's already started a whole lot of shaking. And there's a lot of things that are just being, that seem to be established, but, you know, they're being shaken, shaken away. 
And over in Hebrews, Paul says this, if Paul wrote that. See that you do not refuse him who speaks if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. How much more shall we not escape if we turn from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth? But now he has promised yet once more, I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. In other words, the entire material world is going to be shaking during this time. But you know what? I think the tremors, folks, are already here. Now, this once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. God shakes away. There was a lady in California a couple years ago. As it's happening out there now, she was standing in front of a heap of ashes. And the camera and the newsman zoomed in on her. You know, you could see the smoking ashes in the background. And I don't think they expected her to say what she said. She said, praise the Lord. He has kept us. She said, that all can be replaced. And sometimes God does that in someone's life. He shakes things loose so that they might take hold of the eternal things. How many times do we know somebody? They've, they've, they've lost a job. They've lost a home. They've lost a loved one, and in it, they found Christ. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, he speaks about that individual that will become a pillar. There were two pillars in the Temple of Jerusalem. Uh, one of them was the name Boaz, which meant strength, and the other one was Jachin, which means permanence. And yet when the temple fell in 70 AD, those things also fell. But not the person not the person who believes God, not the person that trusts in Jesus Christ. We will be a pillar. There's a lot of pillars. There's a lot of temples. There's a lot of things in this world, on this earth. They're going to fall. But God has promised to you and me that we will be a pillar in the temple. And a pillar basically speaks of permanence and it speaks of strength. And you know what? There's three new names. You know what I noticed about names? It's that people love to have some name or logo written on their clothes. Do you have some shirts like that? I, I love shirts like that. I, I got a whole bunch of them. Um, remember John Chavetta? Remember John, the usher? Every time I see John in a T-shirt, you have some new, wild, wacky, crazy, interesting, you know, witness shirt on or something like that. And there's something about that. And there's something also, too, I think, that, you know, as I was watching this, this uh, basketball player on TV, I have never seen anybody so tatted up in my life. Oh, he had him going up his neck and everything. It was just like, you know, his whole body and also, I mean, a beautiful color, but <laughs> at what a price. <laughs> but I think when that happens, somebody is simply trying to, they're making a statement or they're simply trying to identify with something. And in eternity, you're going to have three new names written on you. And every time you look at them, you know, you, you know it's like, I got some tattoos, okay. I never show them to anybody because I don't like them. I, I, always, I always told my children, don't get any tattoos. Because, you know, it's like putting up a picture you can never change. Okay? Would you want to do that? No. But every time that you look at those names, you know, it's interesting, in eternity, or in, in the spiritual realm, the medieval artists tried to portray the name, because I think that, I, you know, I think the name will be perhaps maybe written in our foreheads. And I think that the, the 
um, ancient artists try to portray it by a halo. You know, that, that, that mark that we have, so to speak. And I think that when we look at those marks, those names on us, it's sort of like you'll be proud of the ownership. You'll be proud of the fact that, yes, yes, I belong to him. And you know, another thing about eternity, we are going to have, there's going to be service, there's going to be task, there's going to be responsibilities and duties that are going to be so wonderful. Isn't it a, isn't it a blessed thing? Um, I mean, to have the responsibility of a job, okay? I mean, even that's getting kind of rare lately. And the many good things that the Lord's given to us. There's a, there's a blessing with that. And to have his name written upon you. You'll be so blessed, so privileged. And if you don't have that today, if you don't have that halo upon your life, if you don't have Jesus in your heart, no halo on your head. You can have it just by opening your life to him. You don't have to sign any papers. Just open your heart. And if you need that, let's pray together. Father, we do open our hearts to you. We thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for all that you are. And we have seen, Lord, some blessed promises, Lord, to this Philadelphia church. We want to be a part of that church. We want to be in that number. And I pray for anyone this morning, Lord, that you would grant to them the gift of faith to believe, to trust you. Lord, we're so grateful for what you've done, what you've wrought. And Lord, once again, as we consider these things, we realize the end of the ages has fallen upon us. Help us, we pray, to be ready. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be active, Lord. Help us be soul winners. Lord, to make a difference in someone's life. To realize later when we're in eternity that I talked to this person and that person and here they are in heaven. Lord, give us your heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.